Is this on now? There we go. Am I on? There we go. But uh, we're glad that you're here today. That's a little part of our group that's going to be going to Ecuador, and they're going to be shining as a light strong for Jesus. Don't you think that'll get some attention out there? And so we're glad that you're here this morning. I'd like to direct your attention to the notes in your carrier this morning. He just needs a few good men. Today's Father's Day. I said that fathers don't get much attention like mothers do on Mother's Day, you know. Mother's Day is a big deal. We have competitions to see who can be the oldest mom. For guys, we just have competitions to get in the door, you know. It's like we're just happy to be here, and, uh, and we get to have our seat, and we get to do our, our thing. But uh, today, we're, we're glad that you are here, and I'd like to challenge all the men of the church, not just fathers. I'd like to challenge all people, not just men. But, uh, you know, God, God called 12 disciples. And when he called those 12 disciples, he put his hand on their shoulder, he tapped them and said, I want you to come and I want you to follow me. And so there's something special about whenever we as men step up to the plate and we say, okay, God, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to honor you. It does something inspiring to our families. It does something inspiring to, to our children, to our wives. And whenever men step up and they say, I will follow God. I'm often reminded of the passage where uh, Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose ye this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I have to make that decision every day who, to choose whom I will serve. And so today as men, I'd like to share with you uh, to challenge the men of the church particularly, but also all people in the church, not just men, everybody here today. Let's turn to, if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. And, uh, you know, when you look at, you're looking for characteristics of godly men in the Bible. There are, I'm going to just share a few characteristics this morning of godly men. And these are principles that are good for all of us, men and women both alike. Um, young people, old people, everybody in between. And uh, God has a plan for your life, and there are, there are characteristics that we can take from the Scriptures, and we can apply them to our life, and we can have an impact on our community, on our families, and uh, uh, all over the place for God. So let's look here this morning. This is Second Philippians. I'm sorry, not Second Philippians. Where did I get that? Boy, it must be a rough day, all right? You know, by the time you hit this hour, you're kind of you're tired, huh? Philippians chapter 2. See, I knew there was a 2 in there. Philippians chapter 2, verse um, 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your, for your state or for your welfare. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son... With his father, he served that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one whom and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was 
was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more, therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for, uh, for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. This morning there are a few characteristics from this passage I'd like to draw to our attention to help us think about the men, uh, the godly principles, the godly character of men that we need to be looking at today godly people. Number one is this, that God is looking for men of compassion, men who will put relationships before results or people before prophets, you could call it, all right? You know, when we get, as men, we are, we tend to be a little bit more task-driven. How many times have I sat with couples in premarital counseling and they tell me, well, you know, he likes to sit and watch the football game. And when the football game's on, there's nothing else can, you know, you can't get his attention, you know. And that's how us men are. You know, the football game's on, it's like, the wife is trying to get our attention to go out and start up the grill, you know, fire up the, fire up the, the food outside. But no, the game is on. We're, we're in tunnel vision. You know, that's just how God made us a little bit. And we tend to get the task done a little bit more. We, we tend to be a little bit more task-driven. And, uh, and, but what, what this guy here in the Bible said, the Bible said of Timothy, was that he, Timothy, he says, for I have no one else like-minded, verse 20, I have no one else like-minded who will sincerely care for your welfare. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character. Listen, he says, nobody else, I don't have anybody else that's stepping up to the plate like this guy. But he's not concerned about himself. He's not wrapped up in himself. He's not putting results before relationships. Listen, that's what we do. We're, we, we, you know, we, we, are, we, have, a, we have an agenda. We want to get things done. And that's, that's a good thing because if we didn't have that, nothing would get done, right? We'd all be sitting around wondering when, you know, who's going to pay the bills. Um, I'll never forget my dad whenever I was young. My dad said a statement that I... You know, every now and then I'll, I'll use that statement, but I really resented the statement. He said, I love you, and I'm going to prove how much I love to you. I go to work every day for you. And as a young teenager, you know what I said to my dad? Well, gee, thanks, Dad. I said, you know what, Dad? Those are not just my bills. Those are your bills, too. You live in this house. You eat here, too. You experience all the things I expense here. Those are your bills, too, right? So my dad would say, I go off to work, and I'm telling you, that's how I prove my love to you. And you know what I really wanted from my dad? More than anything as a kid? I wanted him to throw a football with me. I can remember one time my dad threw a football with me. One time. We were in the streets of Dormont. He threw it. And it, was like, it was like a half hour long. I wanted him to just, just not try to fix everything all the time, not try to, to, to be worried about the house all the time. And you know what my dad really meant well? He just had the results ahead of relationship. And this is one thing that we have to be careful of, 
both men, women, all of us, we've got to be careful not to put the results ahead of the relationship. You know, another translation, I put it on your, on your notes there. Another translation says to, uh, putting the, wrapping ourselves up in our own affairs. You know, when we wrap ourselves up in our own affairs, that's not fatherhood. That's not being a daddy. You know, that's, that's being self-centered. And so here's what happens. We come along, and I always, I always like to tell people, when, you became, when I became the man of the house, when I became dad, husband, guess what? I stood up and I said, it's time for me to step to the plate now. And every now and then I have to take one for the team. Every now and then I have to stay up late to fix the sink because it's clogged or things overflowed. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, you know? Or, or, or things just aren't working right around the house, and I can't fix them anyhow. I'm no handyman to begin with. So I get on the phone, and who do I call? I don't call my mother-in-law for help. I don't call my mom for help. I, my dad's passed away, so I call my father-in-law. And I say, hey, Rich, can you tell me how to do this? And then he'll tell me, and I can't totally understand it. <laughs> and I call Jim once. I say, hey, Jim, can you tell me how to do this? And, you know, Jim, you have to be prepared because he gives you a little bit more details, and it takes a longer time. So, and then I'm just, like, frustrated. But you have to take one for the team, and it doesn't matter. I have to take the responsibility. I have to step up to the plate and not be wrapped up in my own affairs and my own who I am. Listen, there are plenty of things that I would like to do sometimes instead of fixing things around the house. And, and trust me, our house isn't fixed up very much. But there are many things that, uh, as far as if I were wrapping myself up in me, that I would have other hobbies and other things that I would be doing. And, you know, it's not wrong to have hobbies. It's not wrong to do all these things. But we are supposed to put them in the proper perspective and not just be wrapped up about me. See, this is what Timothy was. Timothy was a faithful man, and he was concerned about the things of Jesus Christ for their family. For, for these people. And the Apostle Paul said that he's not wrapped up in his own affairs. I'm going to send him over there. You know, as men, as dads, as husbands, we have a, we have a strong role out there. And we don't realize it. You know, when, when I got married, somebody, you know, they tried to tell me that you have an important role. But I never totally understood that important role until I had my own kids. And I started to take them and, you know, I'd put my kids on the softball teams and, and do all these things. And you know what? It's so cool whenever your little kid's out there and they're up at the plate, you know, and they swing and they miss that ball. You know the first person they look to? They look to dad. They're afraid that dad's going to yell at them. And half the time we did. <laughs> Rah! You know, I'm screaming my brains off over a little softball game, you know. And, and then, you know, and so the other day I went down, my, my children are now high schoolers. And, you know, Carice plays basketball, Kara plays basketball. And every now and then out of the corner of their eye, at the old age that they are, they'll look to see if I'm there. They kind of look and say, you know, it's like, make a shot and it's like, yeah. Because it's too cool to really look for me now. But they know that I'm there and they, and you know what, it helps them, they, I don't know. Sometimes they play worse when I'm there. I don't know. But, you know, but it's like they love the, the approval. They, they want the thumbs up. Dad, did I do good? You know, I went down here to see my, my nephew, Hunter. He's seven years old, my sister's little boy. He was playing baseball down here. And that was on Wednesday night, so I couldn't stay the whole game. But I got there just after it started, and I walked out, and 
I didn't really know anybody else on the team, so I was kind of a loner, you know? I was only the lonely. And I walked up on that fence, and I just kind of put my elbow. He's in right field, and I'm standing there, and I'm looking. And he knew that I was going to come. So he was on the lookout for me. Yeah, he's out there. <laughs> Ball comes to him. He's still looking for me, you know? And, uh, and, but I'm standing there. He sees me. He goes, Uncle Kenny! Uncle Kenny! Man, I'll tell you what. I thought, I'm going to come to more games, you know? <laughs> I'm like the hero, you know? So he gets up the bat. He hits one. Cranky goes up. He makes it down to first base. Next inning, he gets up. Crank, this kid hits it out into the outfield. And he's running. He's going from first to second. And guess what he's doing? Uncle Kenny! <laughs> and he's just so happy. You know what? He needed some approval. He was just so happy. And I mean, I'm... I'm not near around him that I need to be. But I just gave him my little thumbs up. And guess what he did? He just responded. He's like, and so I, I went off. I couldn't stay the whole game. I left and I went on to youth group. And I came back and there's this answer on my answer machine like forever. It's from Hunter. He's seven years old. Uncle Kenny, I got a double. And then I got another double. And I hit it really hard. And then click, it cuts off. Because he just kept going and the tape ran out, you know. And it's like amazing how that this kid, he was so happy because I invested in him. I didn't beat him up because, you know, hey, Hunter, when the ball comes to you, you're supposed to catch it. You know, I didn't do that. I didn't, I didn't pull him aside and call him and say, Hunter, even though I was there, you need to pay attention to the game. I invested in him. And this is what Timothy did. Timothy invested in people. You know, sometimes we do that in a church at large. Sometimes we're just get running so much. I got the dinner theater. I got Sunday morning. I got Easter. I got all these big things. And, you know, sometimes on Sunday, I mean, I have to be task-driven at times. I'm running from the back of the building to the front, and I'm all over the place. But God says, listen, in the midst of all that task, this is what matters, you. You are the people that matter. And that's the way we are to love and care for each other. We are to not be so overwhelmed with the result that we forget that there are relationships here. I want you to fall in love with Jesus. And that's how it happens. It's through relationships. So we come together, we work. And you know what? We need to give each other approval. Um, I, I told you, you know, my father-in-law... Uh, my dad's passed away, but I look to my father-in-law for approval from time to time. You know, we don't often seek that out. But, you know, when, I, when I've done something around the house, I want his opinion. You know, I want him to tell me that it looks good. You know, we, I, I did a little bit of work in the house. I want him to tell me, yeah, it looks good. You know, there's a reason that when, when we have picnics, all the men go together and all the women go together. You know, did you ever notice that? You have a picnic, what happens? All the men are over here. We're talking about manly stuff. And all the women are over there. We don't know what they're talking about, but they just talk. <laughs> and and we're, we have our little circles, you know. So when I, we have a family gathering, what do I do? I take my father-in-law down and say, hey, look, I've been working on this. I've been working on that. And, and it's like he, he enjoys that, and I enjoy it. And it's like sometimes, sometimes we get to talk, and sometimes we don't. But I'll tell you what, we, we need each other's approval. As a dad, my kids need, hey, a girl. Your kids need that. 
Your husband, your wife needs that. This isn't just for men. This is for all of us. We need to be thinking about who, the, the, who these people are. And the, the God's placed in your life. God has you there for a reason to raise your family. God has you in the neighborhood that you live in. We've got to be thinking about people. Secondly, God is looking for faithfulness or consistency, all right? He's looking for us to be consistent. Men who put character before conformity. Character before conformity. They're not afraid to be different from the culture. They're not afraid to stand alone for what's right. Um, consistency is putting character before conformity. I don't care what everybody else thinks. I don't care what they're doing. I'm going to do the right thing. And so men and women alike, this is a characteristic of a great godly person. When we have the ability to be consistent, to be faithful, not conforming. I'm faithful. My character my character comes above everything else. You know, my character is new. I'm growing in God each day. Your character is growing in God each day. The Bible says that if you want, you want to have a godly character, it's not from willpower. It comes from God. So you have to come and you seek the face of the Lord. You say, God, I need you to change me from the inside out. God, please give me your characteristics. God, get transform me. This is what he did with, uh, with, with Timothy here. Look at verse 22. Timothy has proved himself. He served with me in the work of the gospel. Okay? But you know his proven character. Circle that word on your paper. Proven. Okay? He, he was a proven character. And that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Listen, how about your character? I would challenge all of us today. What is our Christian character? Are we proven? Well, you know what? Every day is another opportunity to be proven. This isn't about following some regiment of rules. This is about following God. And when God makes a difference from the inside out, guess what happens? My character changes. And now, and I'm not talking about the do's and the don'ts and the list and that, because, listen, that's all... You know, this person says you can do this. This person says you can't do it. You know what? I'm talking about from down deep inside that you're standing up before God and you say, I am a believer. Therefore, I don't do certain things. And, it, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, I don't go to my friends and say, I don't talk that way because I'm a Christian. When the, isn't, that, isn't that nice, you know? We go and we just don't talk that way. And I hang out with people who do talk that way. And sometimes I have to leave when the conversation goes a little too far that way. But you know what happens? I don't condemn them. I'm standing and it's my character. You know, I have a character inside of me that says, finish the job. I'll stay till 2 and 3 in the morning if it has to be. I'll sacrifice sleep. I'll sacrifice everything for that job to get done. And I know a lot of you men are in this church like that as well. That's a character. See, that comes from down deep inside. Why? It's a conviction. My conviction is that, hey, listen, I want this to be the best that it can be. I'll give it my all. I give 150%. That's what I need to do in my family. I have to have character in my family. I have to have, to have 150% in my family. I have to sit down with my family. You know, the, one, of the, one of the key things that we deal with is, uh, is communication. It's so hard to communicate. Especially as men, we, you know, again, like I said, when we get together as men, it's like, you know, coming home from the men's retreat, you know, 
That was a good retreat. Yeah, it sure was. That's the end of our conversation. I come home and my wife says, how was the retreat? I said, it was really good. And she's like, and? I'm like, and, and we had wings Friday night, <laughs> you know? But when she comes home from the women's retreat, I say, you know, being the good husband that I am, how was your retreat? I get like an hour and a half lecture. It's amazing, you know? And we played this game, and we did this, and we did that, da, da, da. I was like, anything else, honey? You know? And so we have to learn how to communicate. We're different. Men are different than women. Um, and so we have to learn how to communicate. Some of you are extreme task. Some of you are no task. Some of you are extreme structure. Some of you are no structure. I'm on the no structure side. I mean, I don't have a box, you know? Some of you love spreadsheets. I don't even know what to do with one of those, you know? I, I think that's for other people, you know? But listen, it doesn't mean that I don't get things done because I don't know how to use a spreadsheet. And same thing with a guy who loves a spreadsheet. It doesn't mean he can't communicate. We have to come and we have to seek before God. We have to say, okay, God, please help me. This, see, this is my character. This is who I am before God. And I, I want to be godly with my family. Um, look at Proverbs 10.9 says, The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes the crooked path will be found out. Wow, that's pretty heavy. You can walk secure if you're walking with God. Proverbs 27 says, It is a wonderful heritage to have an honest father. Hmm. Inconsistent fathers produce insecure children. Unreliable husbands produce unstable marriage. Inconsistency is not a part of the life that we have to live. We've got to be consistent. We've got to do, we've got to be faithful. Every day I get up, I go to work. Every day I get into the Word. Every day I do this. Every day I do that. I got, you know, I've, you've got to brush your teeth every day. You've got to shower every day. And I have other character beyond personal hygiene that you have to do every day. You've got to meet with God. You've got to be and Listen, I have to call. You know, when I go away on a trip, I call home to my wife every day. I say, I give her an update. I give her what's going on. Why? Because that's my character. And I've developed that through God. Do, do you think that maybe I'm always calling because, you know, I, I'm insecure and need to hear from my wife today? No. I'm calling because I want my wife to know that when I'm away, I love her. That's my character. And in your character, you'll develop it. Now, you know, and I realize, listen, we don't even have to have any emotion involved anymore. We can just text each other, right? I love you. I can even save it and just hit forward again. I love you, I love you, I love you, you know? <laughs> I can tell her all day long, love you, love you, love you, love you, you know? And she thinks I'm the greatest whenever I do that. So, but, uh, you know, but as we come and we meet with God, listen, our godly character's got to come out and we've got to meet with our children. Our children have got to see that my integrity as a man of God, you men of God, women of God in this room today, whether you have children or not, your integrity starts now. Your character starts now. You know, I'll never forget, you know, life changed whenever I brought home little Carice 16 years ago. She's here today, you know, my little sweetie. We brought her home. 
my wife and I, we were just so happy. We were, we were young at one point. It was hard to believe that, you know. But I had this, we come home with this little baby. And we were all excited because, you know, in the hospital, they, they show you how to do everything, change the diaper and all this and that, which I was never too good at. And then all the people left. We got home. Everybody left. And we put this little child in the crib. And I said, I'll never forget. I sat down and looked at my wife and I said, now what? I was scared to death. I'd go in and check to make sure she's still breathing. Every now and then I still do that, you know. Middle of the night, you all right? And Dad, yes, I'm okay. That's all they ever tell me is I'm okay. But listen, it's got to be your character. Your character from down deep inside. That's why. And so it wasn't until that we brought that little child home that I realized, whoa, wait a minute. My integrity matters all the more. My character matters even more. And it mattered whenever before she was around, but it matters a whole lot more because there's somebody watching my move, somebody watching every failure I've ever made for the past 16 years. And that is why this is important. And so men and women, as godly people, look at, look at, look at the example of, uh, of Timothy in the Scripture. Timothy was proven. I ask you, how about your character? Are you proven? Has your character been proven? And, you know, the only way that you can be a proven character is to live for God over time. And so I take my Bible and I start living for God today. And that's all I can do. I can't go back and change yesterday. Yesterday is gone. But I have today and maybe tomorrow. And so all I can do is live for God today. So I get up and I seek Him and I honor Him with my life. You know, there's a man that taught me a lot about how to be consistent, how to be faithful. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, this church had buses. They went out all over Pittsburgh. Um, there was no paved parking lot out here. And it was just mud. That's how my mom knew if I was in church. They checked your shoes. And, uh, and you know, it was, this is back in the day. Carol Darren, she, she took over the bus route after Don Harrod left. And uh, Carol, she drove us crazy most of the time, but she, she brought us here. And uh, Carol, Carol's our faithful housekeeper here and uh, been doing so much for us. But she drove us out here all the time. But before Carol Darrance was Dawn Herod, and I think, Carol, you even rode on Dawn Herod's bus. Dawn Herod would come to your house on Saturday. Hey, Ken, you want to go to church tomorrow? Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. So I'd come and I'd go to church. And I mean, you know, I've told you before, he, he did the deal with me. Come on, I'll give you a donut. So I go to church, I get a donut. I mean, you've got to remember, this is the late 70s. To get a free donut, that was a big deal, you know. Now it's like kids, donuts are nothing. But back then, I was like poor little city kid, you know. I was like happy to get a donut on Sunday morning. So I, I jump on that bus. Those buses were hideous looking. I think they used whatever leftover paint they had to paint them. They were multicolors. I mean, it was... It was, it was a trip. You, no, nobody would do that nowadays. But, but I came in on those buses, and Don Heron came, and he came every Saturday. Ken, you coming to church tomorrow? Yeah, Don, I'll see you tomorrow. Well, as I got to age a little bit, Don Heron came, and I had a little paper out. I'd do my paper out on Sunday morning, and Don would come on Saturday. You coming to church tomorrow? He, he was faithful. Every Saturday he showed up. I said, yeah, Don, I'll see you tomorrow. Mr. Herod. So that I told him that on Saturday. 
Sunday morning, I had the mischievous idea of a teenager. I'm not sure that was a total teenager, just a young person. Just a mischievous idea that when he pulled that bus up and beeped the horn in front of my house, I wasn't going to come out. I'm just going to skip and I'll have fun with this guy. So Mr. Herod pulls up the bus. I'm upstairs. I'm just laughing. It goes on again. I'm just laughing hysterically. It's like a couple minutes go by, and all of a sudden you hear the bus, and it takes off. So I'm sitting there laughing. I got Mr. Herod. You know? So Mr. Herod comes by the following Saturday. Hey, Ken, we missed you Sunday. I, I blew, blew the horn a lot of times. Where were you? I'm sorry. I must have slept in. I'll see you tomorrow, then, Mr. Herod. Okay. Mr. Herod comes. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> I got him again. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> and I'm having so much fun laughing, you know. Vroom, the bus leaves. So it's two weeks in a row now I'm gone. Missed church for two weeks in a row. Third week comes, Mr. Harry didn't show up on Saturday. He didn't come knocking at my door. So I said, ah, that happens every now and then. He must be busy. But he's extremely faithful. So I got up the next morning, Sunday morning, did my paper out, and I was ready to go that, mo that morning to church. I was all dressed up, sitting there waiting, ready to go to church. And the time came for Don to pull up. The bus didn't come. Started looking at the clock. I said, maybe he's getting a little bit late. Maybe something happened to the bus. He never showed that day. And it was the biggest lesson of my life. Because the following Saturday, Mr. Herod came at my door. He said, Ken, I'd like to invite you back to church. But I'm not playing games with you. This is the most serious business in the world. And I want you to come, and I'll drive this bus, and I'll have a donut for you every Sunday morning, but I'm not going to play games. You know what? I don't think I've missed a Sunday since. Mr. Herod went on to be with the Lord here in the past year or so. Uh, he moved on to Florida and retired down there. He was holding a job and working for God on the, on, and doing everything he could up here. He ministered, and he went to work, and he'd come and ride that, drive that bus, take care of us. But you know what happened to me as a kid? I became consistent. And guess what I do now every week? Well, I guess I have to now, right? <laughs> but I am here. When I went through Bible college, man, I knew all the places to hide to miss this stuff. You know, down at Liberty, there was little places you could hide up on the ceiling towel, you know? Had a few friends that lived up there, you know? And it was like, I said, No. I'm going to go because this is the character, this is the consistency that God has made in my life. And so what do I want from my kids? I want my kids to be people of consistency, people to be faithful. I want my family to be faithful. You as a church family, that's what you want. You want to be faithful. That's why we're here every week. We're here because this is what God's called us to do. And so when you're making a new habit, you know that whole, that whole thing, it takes 21 days to make a new habit? Well, just keep doing it. Just keep coming and meeting here. Keep saying, you know what? I'm tired. I can't tell you how many days I'm tired. I'm tired every day. Every Sunday. You know what? It's like torture. Oh. You know, we're here. Me and my wife, we get here at 8 o'clock. We're here until 1. 
We'll come back at 4.30. I got an Ecuador meeting tonight. It's, I mean, it's a long day today. But guess what? It's your character. It's consistency. I just keep coming and I'm consistent. And that's what I want to encourage you with all the areas of your life, that you are consistent with God, consistent meeting with him on a daily basis, consistent in your church activity, your church service. Thirdly today, God is looking for men and women who will work together. Cooperation. Put cooperation before competition. Um, look at the scriptures here. That uh, Julie, if you'll put up that scripture there. Put in cooperation before competition. Philippians 2.25. Yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Okay? Is there more on there? Or just that? All right. So to, the one who ministered to my need. I want you to think with me. He calls him his brother. Three stages of, of, of connectedness here. So the Epaphrod- I found it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. He's my brother. Not physical. That's the spiritual family. My brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. But he's your messenger. And uh, just think about this, number one, about he's a brother. You know, we like to call each other that around the church. Hey, brother. Yeah. You ever hear somebody call you up and say, hey, brother? I know that uh, Al Finney and I were pretty tight. And when Al needs something, I get the, hey, brother. <laughs> you know? You know, it's, it's Ken for everything else. But when it's time to move chairs, hey, brother, would you consider this? You know? And, and Al and I, we have that. And I'll call him brother when it's time for me to need something. Say, hey, brother Finney, you want to buy me lunch? You know? And I'll just, uh, I just, you know, we, we just have this relationship. And that's what families do. We're, you know, some of you maybe were one time in smaller churches where everybody called brother and sister all the time. It's, hey, brother or sister and, and all those things. But you know what? It really is true. We're the family of God up here. And Al is my brother, and I'm his brother. And we got each other's back. And we're trying, to, we're trying to do this thing. We pray for each other. We care for each other. We're, we're doing, doing it. That's the family of God. You're my brother. You're my sister. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to gather and pray for one another's needs. We're supposed to come before God and lay it all at the altar. And that's what we do. Wednesday night, the, the service meets up here. But even more than the services, I'm talking about Tuesday and Friday and next Wednesday. All the time. Listen, we, we have this interconnectedness of brother and sister. You know, the Bible re- uses that word in Christian fellowship, refers to Christians as brother 133 times. It's an important word, brother and sister. There's a family. There's a, listen, we've got to get this connectedness going here. And you know, you're not meant to be alone out there. This wasn't supposed to be an alone thing. May, uh, living for God is not to be well, you know what? I can have church on my own. Where two or three are gathered together. So here's my wife and two children. We're having church. My dad used to tell that to me growing up as I left and jumped on the bus and went to church here for a donut. But I caught it. There's something here. It's not about just an island. It's about us. We're working together. Um, he says also that it, you're a fellow worker. Okay, we work together, we serve together. We're not just, you know, it's not just a, hey, let's gather and have some sweet tea, you know. It is, hey, yeah, we'll share a few meals together, but we got to get some work going on here. We got we to gotta go out and we got we to gotta 
shake this town for Jesus Christ. We've got vacation Bible school. We've got to bring in the kids. We're going to Ecuador. We're working together. We've got all these things. We're giving together. We're, we're coming together. And that's what the family does. And then he takes it a step further. He says, hey, and he's my fellow soldier. We're all in the same army and the same enemy is Satan. So God says that he, uh, Paul talks here of Epaphroditus as his brother, as his fellow worker, and as his soldiers. The people that God uses are people who work with the family of God. You know, I'm not an island. I can't do this. I come up here every Thursday. We have 724. And it's, it's a phenomenal night up here. The young adults, we have a great evening. But you know what? Dan and the band and all these people, there's somebody's getting food. And this isn't about me. This is about us. And we gather together. You know, this past week, I couldn't be there. I, I asked Dan McNeese. Dan McNeese come up and he stepped up to the plate. He was speaking. They love him. He, they're like, we want Dan. You know, he, he's a great guy. But listen, that's what the family of God does. I call on him. And Dan says, yeah, I think I'll. Well, you know, normally on Thursday night, I like to just relax a little bit. But I suppose I could do that. And he stepped out and he did something. And that's what we're supposed to do as a family. Um, look here at Judges 20.11. Okay? Judges 20.11 says, So all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, united together as one man. You know what? You can, we can do powerful things together, but we cannot do powerful things alone. You know, you look at a snowflake, and you watch a snowflake come down. looks pretty harmless, doesn't it? You watch it melt on your hand. But you get enough snowflakes together you can stop traffic. And that's what the church is to be. We're all the snowflakes. Or should I say flakes at time, right? We're, we're, all, we're all the snowflakes coming together. And we are together marching onward for Jesus Christ. And we're stopping traffic. We're making a difference in our community. And men, I want to encourage you as men on this Father's Day, step up in your family and make a difference. Show your family that, hey, listen, I get together and I pray with other men. I need other men in this church. i got to go out and, and connect your family to other godly people because we need other godly people. When, when I'm not there, my family needs other godly people to say, keep walking, keep walking, keep, let's keep, keep it going here. All right, God's looking for people of commitment, people of commitment. That's a value that makes you great as well. Men and women who will put the cause of Christ before their comfort. Uh, Jim Elliott, the famous missionary down in Ecuador, said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who keeps what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And that was in his journal, and then he went into that jungle, and he ended up being a martyr for God. Wasn't planning to be a martyr, but that's what the, the path that God had for him. I had the opportunity to stand in the very village that he was trying to reach, to stand in the church that is now a gospel witness in that village because 50 years ago, a man said he is no fool who will give up what he cannot keep to gain that eternal blessing. And I want to encourage you today, let's not be holding on to the things that we cannot keep. Um, the, the commitment here in... Um, the, the, the passage here, he talks about Epaphroditus, and he says that he was the soldier, and he's my fellow worker. But he goes on to say he was your messenger. And let me just give you the story here. I'm running out of time here. But he says that you were in Rome, and they're over in Philippi. He was your messenger. He came from Philippi 
to Rome. 800 miles. He had a need. The church sent Epaphroditus over to Paul. Paul sends him back. 800 miles that were not readily available transportation like we have today. Now, could you imagine if I called upon Brandon Hoffman? I said, hey, Brandon, you know, would you take this Bible? Would you go up and, and would you walk this to Erie today? I know what Brandon would say. He wouldn't even stick around long enough to listen to it. 800 miles. And that's not Erie's a lot closer than that. So I want to encourage you today. What is your commitment? You know, many years ago, I went, I signed this in my Bible. It says, all I am, all I have, and all I ever hope to be. I have now and forever dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory, absolutely, unconditionally, never, uh, uh, absolutely, unconditionally, now and forever. And I signed it, Kenny Barner, September of 1986. And you know what? I have made a commitment before God Almighty that I will live for him, that I will be here. And that's what God says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God that you present, that you offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, pleasing under God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Some of you need to make that commitment and say, you know what? Yes, I'm a believer. I accepted Christ, but... You know what, from this day forward, I'm making commitment that I am giving my life a living sacrifice before Jesus. You know, one of the problems with a living sacrifice, they can crawl off the altar. You know, and that's what happens. I tend to crawl off that altar. And guess what I have to do? Every day I've got to come back like the Apostle Paul says, and I have to die daily. I have to die daily to myself. We've got to be persistent. We've got to be men of commitment, men and women in this church of commitment. Number five, courage. We want to be people of courage. Without fear, there is no courage. There's a lot of fearful things out there. And uh, we've got to be people of courage. And you can see the scriptures there this morning. But I want to I want to end with this video here. Um, I want you to just look at this video here this morning. I want you to think about on Father's Day especially people that have things that are hard. Life is not always easy out there, but yet God tells us to be people of commitment, people of courage, and let's go for it. So as as you watch this video, I want you to think of the things that we just talked about.
troubles come and my heart burdened be, then I am still and wait here in the silence until you come and sit a while with me. You raise me up so I can stand on mountains. You raise me up to walk on stormy seas. I am strong when I am on your shoulders. You raise me up. Become people of courage. We come alongside each other. As fathers, as parents, we want to come alongside of our children. When their dreams are broken, we're there for them. And as a family of God, I want you to be there when my dreams are broken. And I want to be there when your dreams are broken. And we come along and we help our kids as they're limping along. And we say, oh God, be with them. God, they don't understand everything right now. I'm here. And, and you know what we do? We cross the finish line together. We are committed. We are consistent. We're compassionate. We work as a family of God. Let's bow in prayer together. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, just take a few moments and thank God. Maybe there's something in the service today that God has spoken to you in particular about. I don't know. Maybe it's about being courageous. There's a lot of tough things that we have to face out there. Maybe it's about being committed. You just, maybe you need somebody in your life to help you learn some of those lessons like I had a Don Herod. Sent a strong message at a young age, but it changed my life. These two guys in the scripture were just ordinary guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, but God did a work in their life. They were faithful, available, teachable, and they were there being used by God. My prayer this morning is that that will be the same for you. Lord God, I pray you'll be with us. Help us, Lord, as we close this service. Lord, thank you for allowing us 
your resurrection power, Lord. The fact that you arose from the dead, you conquered the grave so that I can go out and live this life, so that I can be the man of God that you want me to be, so that I can be the husband that you need me to be, so that I can be the, the father that you need me to be. And Lord, I know for every person in this room, man, woman, child, you are able to give them the power to do these things. God, I pray that you help them to place these things in their life. In your name we pray. Amen. Today I'd like to close with our Ecuador group. They're going to give us a, a short drama to close. And as you are thinking about the resurrection power as we close, think about what God's doing in your life. Get one. 
Um, let's all stand together as a church, all the Ecuador people coming up to, onto the stage. Let's uh, pause and send them off in prayer. This is exciting. We've got 29 people going off to Ecuador. And you, are, you are the senders. We're the goers on this trip. And I want you to pray for us and uh, just ask God to keep us safe. We've got plane travels. We've got bus travels. There's all kind of wild things that can happen in there. So I'm just going to ask you to uh, lift us up before the Lord. And I'm going to ask uh, Brother Dan McNeese, would you come up and lead us in prayer and just ask God's blessing on our team. And let's all join hands together as a church. All right, everybody loves Dan. Would you all join hands together and let's, uh, let's just, just uh, form a circle of unity here in the church by signifying our hands together. And uh, let's just uh, ask God's blessing. And you are the senders. Let's send them out together. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thanks for this uh, great opportunity for so many people from our church to go to Ecuador. Uh, we just pray that, uh, that you would really use them, God, that your message would go out. We pray that even right now, God, that you would be preparing the hearts of the Ecuadorians uh, for what uh, you have in store for them. And uh, we just thank you uh, for being such a, a great, awesome God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our Ecuadorian folks, our Ecuadorian travelers, please go out to the foyer. I want you guys to greet everybody and hug everybody on the way out. God bless you. You are dismissed.